Well, Lord Jesus, we come into this moment and we, we come into your presence and well, like Peter, when he saw the great catch of fish, we, we well, were humbled. You're perfect. You're holy. There is no impure thing in you. And that doesn't describe us very well. We want to be holy people, but we falter. We're not perfect in our ways and our walk. And like Peter, in your presence, we're reminded of our sin. But Father, as we come before you, we thank you that this space, this time of communion is meant to remind us that while we might not be enough, your grace is enough. Your sacrifice is enough. And you love us. And you fill us. And you make us full and whole. Forgive us for our weakness and our sin. But thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's, it's a, a very classic children's book. You may ever read it from there. It's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Viorst. Very fascinating little book. I like it a lot. It's a book that talks about lessness. Lessness. Let's get that lessness idea, right? You can, you can have an idea of fullness. You can see the world through a lens of fullness, like I am amply supplied, I have enough, or a lens of lessness. Everybody else always gets it better than I get it. Everyone else has more than me. I feel somehow less compared to everyone else. In this book, that's the story of Alexander. It's a story of lessness. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like He goes to breakfast, Alexander does. And at breakfast, in the breakfast cereal that his brother eats, there's a Corvette Stingray, a little car that's in there, kind of a nice little prize. His other brother, in his box of cereal, uh, there's a secret decoder ring. But in Alexander's box, there's only cereal. He comes up a little bit less than everybody else. He heads off to school with his three siblings. And on the way to school, uh, his sister gets to sit in the front seat by a window. In the back seat, his two brothers each get to sit by a window. Alexander is crammed in the middle, and he is not happy. He knows it's going to be a horrible, terrible, very bad, no good day. <laughs> He's experiencing lessness. He goes to school, and the art teacher has them draw a picture, and he, he, he labors over the art project, and his friend turns in his project a sailboat. Alexander thinks he's being very creative. He hands in a blank piece of paper and says, this is my invisible castle. And no surprises, teacher likes the sailboat picture better than his invisible castle. He knew it was going to be a terrible day. He was looking at the lens of lessness. But his day wasn't over. As his day goes forward after school, it's the day that mom takes all the kids to the dentist. All the siblings, clean bill of health. Alexander has cavity. Even his teeth, he says, are less than they should be. They're not good enough. Well, it's a fun children's story. But it points out a way of thinking that a lot of us can fall into. The thinking of lessness. It's actually kind of human nature to think that way. In fact, it's that, that idea of lessness thinking 
that is on full display in the Garden of Eden, when the devil exploits lessness thinking in Eve and in Adam. In the Garden, it happened this way. Adam and Eve have everything they could possibly need or want. They have free food, companionship, intimacy, comfort, and most importantly, they are completely right with God. God literally walks in step with them, and they walk in step with God. It is paradise. But there's this tree in the garden. It's a tree that God said is off limits to them, at least for now. And they're not supposed to eat from it or touch it or, or be around it. It's the one thing they're not supposed to have. And they know that this tree is there. God knows this tree is there. He knows what he said. And Satan knows the rules for this tree. He's there as well. The tree is just off limits. It's not time or it's not ready or it's not the place for them to have it. Now, Adam and Eve, they could be focused on the fullness of their life. It's even climate controlled, just perfect for them. Like imagine a house where you don't fight over the thermostat. Like it is perfect. But Satan, being the cunning little serpent that he is, begins his beguiling speech to Eve and to Adam who's standing there. Well, you know what? God's, you're really smart, but God's smarter than you. But if you eat this fruit, you won't be less than God anymore. You'll be just as smart as God is. And you've had a lot of great food. There's been a lot of good food in this garden, but you haven't tasted anything until you taste this fruit. Like everything else you've ever had is second best. This is the best there is. Don't settle for less than the best. Eat it. Take it. Touch it. And you'll even be like God. You'll be full. You'll have everything you've ever wanted. There'll be no deficiency in you. You'll be complete. It was in the garden that it happened. Filled with lessness thinking, Eve and Adam made it clear that what they wanted was more important than what God wanted. So they ate the fruit. They would not accept that God could know more than they could know. They would not accept that God's plan was the best plan. And they could not submit their will to God's will. Filled with lessness thinking, they wanted more. But here's the rub. Eating the fruit didn't bring them fullness. It brought them despair. Such is the pattern of lessness. <laughs> when we approach the world from a perspective of lessness, even when we get something good, it never really seems to satisfy. The irony for Alexander was, Alexander had everything he really needed that day. 
He could have looked at the day with fullness. He had a free ride to school, a full belly, full of cereal. His teacher didn't give him detention for turning in a blank piece of paper, and his filling was going to get filled, or his tooth was going to get filled, his cavity. He could have had fullness, but he, he just chose to see the world like a child. Adam and Eve could have had paradise, the most fulfilling life that's possible, but they chose something different. If anyone ever had a propensity or a reason to feel lessness and less than, it was probably this guy who wrote our text this morning. We're going to study for a few minutes this text in the book of James. And as we look at this story, we need to just do a real quick dive into who the author was. You see, James was the, the half-brother of Jesus. Right? Matthew 13 tells us that Jesus had uh, four brothers. His brothers were James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. He also had sisters. And could you imagine growing up in the household of Jesus? Like, have you ever struggled to measure up to a sibling or something like that? Like, Try to measure up to Jesus. You are always going to be less than Jesus, right? He's Jesus. Like, I have to think that his brother's favorite day was the day that Jesus, like, ditched his parents and went back to Jerusalem. And like, yes, finally, our brother messed up. Finally, he's the one in trouble. Woo, what a day. Because, like, they probably looked really bad compared to Jesus. It's the same way we feel when we compare ourselves to him. If anyone had a reason for lessness thinking, it was James. He was always coming up as less. In fact, there's reason to believe from that passage in Matthew and others that, that James wasn't really on the Team Jesus page. Like the one time that we read about him interacting with Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and James and his brothers come there to kind of take Jesus away. And their, their, their message kind of was like, yeah, don't kill him, he's crazy. That's what he has to say about Jesus. In fact, James kind of messaged to Jesus, if you keep preaching like this, they're going to kill you. That's kind of how James looked at things. Now, we don't know for sure how everything changed, but we do know this, that, that when Jesus dies and resurrects from the grave and ascends to heaven, that somewhere in that period of time, Jesus appeared to James. And the next thing we see in the book of Acts is that James has moved from doubt to faith. And James has become a leader among the believers. He could have made a claim for apostleship because he had been with Jesus, but it doesn't really tell us that. He's just become an elder of the church in Jerusalem. This is James. Something in him has changed. Now, seeing your dead brother resurrected from the grave might be enough, I think, in the fact that Jesus made a point to talk to him. So James knows something about this lessness versus fullness thinking. In fact, in the book of James, James really brings it down to this. He adds a new word to lessness and fullness, right? James makes it about faithfulness or faith. Lessness. And he sees them as two different ways of looking at life and the world, two different kinds of wisdom. If you have your Bible, let's turn to James and let's just look in chapter three and let's spend a few minutes looking at this passage and some things that James says about how we see the world. James writes, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? In verse 13. Then if you're wise, let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. A good kind of thinking, a fullness kind of thing, a faithfulness perspective. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, well, bitter envy, isn't that a lot like old Alexander was? Everyone's getting it better than I am. He says, don't boast about that or deny that truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. You see, that's the result of faithlessness. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. He continues his thought in chapter 4 and he says, So what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you, the desire to be faithless or faithful, and they're in conflict with each other? And we have this inner turmoil about, I want to do the right thing, but I constantly do the wrong thing? Yeah. And in this context, he's saying a turmoil that says, I want so much more than I have. I want my life to be better than it is. I'm not full yet. And when we say that, we're really saying, God, you're not enough. I want you plus something else. You're not enough. So he poses a question for us to get us to think about whether we're using faithfulness thinking or faithlessness thinking. And he asks us to think about what causes the fights and the tensions that we see in our life. So he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from these desires that battle in you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, that's a big statement. But James has lived in a very brutal world, a world where people are crucified pretty regularly on the corners of streets. It's a violent world. We could argue about this. I'm not sure that our world today is as violent as the world was then, although sometimes I think we're close. And he says, this is the kind of violence, this is what's driving the problems in our society, James is saying. As we have everybody who thinks they don't have enough and they're willing to get more by any means necessary. I want it. I'm going to have it. It's mine, 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 my precious. I must have it. So you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And James says, don't you know, you do not have because you don't ask God. Or when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own self, on your pleasures, on what makes you feel full. 
he throws out a really harsh statement. For James, who was a, a part of Judaism, this was, a, this was the indictment against Israel, that they had left God and become an adulterous people, that they had cheated on God with foreign gods and idols, and the idea of spiritual adultery was really big in Jerusalem. That's the audience that he's writing to. And he makes this statement to the Christians. He says, you're like an adulterous people. You say that you love God, you say that you love Jesus, but you keep running after other stuff instead of just saying Jesus is enough. You're never satisfied, you're never full. You're always living in lessness and faithlessness. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? It's an awkward statement, but it's a way of saying, listen, God doesn't want you to be jealous of everyone else. He wants you to have a heart that longs for him and no one else. That he is most important. And more important than stuff. And more important than the things you think you don't have. Now James has been around Jesus. And so at this juncture when we're feeling pretty low, he says something incredible. But he gives us more grace. Just like Alexander comes to find out that everybody has bad days. And the next day he gets us a new opportunity to do well and to do right. So James reminds us that today is a chance for us to do better. To begin to walk in faithfulness instead of faithlessness. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And unlike Adam and Eve, who did not, you resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Double-minded. Less or full. Now, here's the thing. James wants us to understand that faithlessness is a big deal. And we shouldn't be like, oh, dismissive. Yeah, that's no big deal. Like, he's like, no, it's a big deal. In fact, he says these phrases around it. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. If you think that, that having it all is what's going to make you happy, you should be grieving about that because your mind is not right. Your heart is not right. Your spirit is not right. Grieve that. Humble yourselves before the Lord. God, you're enough. And he'll lift you up. That word in verse 10 is pretty powerful. He will lift you up. It comes from a word that I like, hoopsus, which literally means filled to the full measure. Filled. Enough. You see, James gets it. He will fill you up. He will make sure you have enough. 
This is what the Apostle Paul elsewhere would say, I am amply supplied. Even though I, 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 I don't always know where I'm going to sleep, I don't always know where I'm going to eat, I don't always know how I'm going to be received, I am amply supplied. Jesus is enough. God's plan for me is enough. It was in the garden. That's where it happened. Jesus, just like Adam and Eve, finds himself in a garden. And like Adam and Eve, he faces a tremendous test of who he is and what he's about. He is facing the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is a task in front of Jesus that Jesus himself is finding the weight of to be ponderous, to be overwhelming. In fact, the Bible tells us in the garden, Jesus is so emotionally overwhelmed that he sweats drops of blood. And the thing that is in front of him is the weight of the cross and sin and completing the mission that he was sent to earth to complete. And in that moment, Jesus, like Adam and Eve, faces a horrible choice, a test. And he says to God, Father, if there is any way that you can take this cup, this challenge away from me, please take it away. It's too much, it's too big, it's too hard. But it's in the garden that he does what Adam and Eve couldn't do. You see, they had said, our will, not yours, God. But Jesus says, your will, not mine. And he lives the terrible, awful, no good day so that we never had to. There are two ways of looking at the world, James says. Faithfulness or faithlessness. Wise or unwise. Joshua made it very clear to the people he was with in his time. He said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me, I will serve the Lord. You have a similar situation in front of you today. <laughs> choose you today what will make you full. Will you keep chasing the stuff of earth? Or you climb and reach for the stuff of heaven? Will you continue to live in faithlessness? Or will you walk in faithfulness? My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for this church is that we will be found faithful. If you have a decision to make, would you make it now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? I come 
with a 